Yes, 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 yes. Good evening everybody and welcome to Fishing Friday, here at a different destination in the farm. Tonight we're in the kitchen, bringing it all to you at the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden, Fishing Friday for you, you, yes you. Gavin Pugh, George Connor, good evening, Julian Craven, good evening, Christian Drewsom, Bournemouth, Leon Ramsey, Dennis Martins, Denise Martins de Silva, excuse me, Adrian Mason, in Price, yeah. Uh, uh, it's air digger time. Air digger time. Oh, what a shape week. It's um, I'm in the kitchen and this is the garden. And as you can see outside, it is just dreek. It's been crap up here for just about, well, about the entire week. It's just been rain, intermittent sunshine, lots of rain, intermittent sunshine. So it's been a bit of a mess. But I mean, in all honesty, I've hardly been out there. I was, um, I've been spinning plates basically all week. It's um, just trying to get everything sorted out. It's just, it's mind-bogglingly overwhelming sometimes. And uh, where we are, uh, the vinyl's off. It's been, uh, test pressings have been made, but we've not got them yet. We expect to get them back next week. CD, discs one and two, are all together. Uh, all the track listings done, all the data's all with the relevant authorities, licenses have been applied for. Uh, and the discs go to the manufacturing plant uh, basically at mid to the end of the next week. Um, the artwork has been a big one. The two, two big things this week have been the artwork and the Blu-ray. Um, on the Blu-ray, the five-to-one mixes are done. Avril and Andy have completed them. They are now with uh, Jeff Whitecross, our lovely guy at Quadrill in Edinburgh, who's putting all the Blu-ray together because it's a double-sided Blu-ray. So there's a lot of work to be done in that. Dave Barris, Daffy Dell, good evening and welcome. Um, I sorted out all the menus and it's just all the pieces. I'm really bringing all the pieces together. The last two pieces we were missing. Uh, Miles Scarron has got putting together a short making of video, but more importantly, this part is over. He's been working on the animation for all this week. And just before I came on air, I sent an okay for some stuff and it's looking really cool, really good. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, and David Lamb has got to deliver, uh, David Lamb's got to deliver uh, um, uh, the Schmerz interview with Mark Wilkinson. So Mark is doing the, his piece and he's done a special airbrush, right? And we're not letting anybody know about this because you won't know about it until you got to the last page of the deluxe book. And I am asking you, 
don't, if you, when you get it, don't mention it, right? It's a little surprise, right? It's a lovely little surprise. It'll bring a smile to your face, but it is going to be a surprise, so I'm not talking about it. But Mark was filmed airbrushing this. It was the first airbrush that he'd done for a long time. But Mark's been, you know, we put together the near 100 pages of artwork, and I finished my 8,000 words. It was supposed to be two and a half to 3,000 but it's turned into 8,000 words of sleeve notes. So uh, it reads pretty well, I'm happy with it, and Mark's got the space for it. I think when, you know, when we went for this kind of, um, the big book, you know, we thought, oh, we will fill it easy, but it says, it's going on, it was like, oh, Jesus, we've got this. But the 8,000 words have fitted in rather well, and some series of small photographs have been attached with them. Um, so the artwork I get on Sunday, I should be getting the full book from Mark. I've seen the slipcase, I've seen the covers and things, everything looks fantastic. I'm really happy with it. So is Mark. And like I said, Sunday I get the full book back and I've got to go through all of that looking for all the spelling mistakes. And it's going through the absolute obvious. It's like, you know, misspellings of Belchmelts and things that have happened with other people before. And um, so I've just got to basically take a complete step back I just anticipate that anything could go wrong with it and then go through it and then go through it again and go through it again. And as I said, at the moment, it's just check, 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 double check, triple check, everything that's leaving this place and anywhere going towards Holland and the profile manufacturers. It's, it's the bit I hate most about the album. It's a real meltdown. The thank you list. Now that's a killer. Um, you know, it's putting the thank you list down and uh, get all that together, get all the musicians' credits, and who did this, and who produced that, and who produced mix, and who played marimbas. Who played marimbas? A question I often ask, who played marimbas? So, I was dealing with all that this week, which is, you know, sometimes it was, I was trying to say, and on a bad Tuesday, I, you, know, I, you know those days you get in the house where you just go, like, I nearly put a chair through the window. I admit, it was a, it was a tech thing. It had to be a tech thing. Right. And all I was trying to do was basically download photos on my camera to this Windows 10 setup. I've got the OneDrive setup and boot it download and it kept on showing up. You've got 550 photographs in your camera. You've got 900 photographs in your camera. Please download. They went, okay, I'll download. Press the button and it goes, everything downloaded, bye. And then it's like, well, where are they? And that was two hours when I was really, I was up against it. I had a bit of a deadline to get photos down to Mark for the, for the book. And that was when the chair did nearly go through the window. It got kicked over and there was a lot of shouting and, you know, my wife was scared, but Simona was having a bad day as well and, and she had a bad day on mail order on the same day. So it was kind of a tense environment. And, uh, and I, I, it was just one of them days, as I said, where you just, everyone's like that and you just want to go out and I just wanted to go away for a drive in the car for three hours or go and just do something, you know? And, um... And it was a bit past. It took me about an hour and a bottle of wine for it to pass. So, you know, I'm herding around alcohol for a fry most of the time. But every, this week, there's been a couple of bottle of wine moments just because we're hitting those markers and getting to those target lines. And as I said, I mean, as of next week, the Velchman's album will be in production. It'll be away. Everything, all the parts away, all checked. And then I have to sit back and wait on the finished items arriving in September. Um, the book takes a long time to put together and to get it all assembled. And 
and Mark's got to do a lot of checking on colour grades and things like that over the next kind of weeks. But once I get through next week, I'm kind of I've, I've ridden that that that, that first the, the first big run, you know, you know, writing, recording, mixing, mastering into manufacture, and then it goes into really into my area for the next months. And the thing is, as some of you have been pointing out, and it annoys me, right? Because I'm, I'm reading the Facebook timeline and people saying, oh, well, the, the Dutch gigs have been moved. Yes, the Dutch gigs have been moved. So have the German, and nobody bothered telling me that the dates had moved yet. I know that we've been looking in the background, rebooking them, my agent in Hamburg has been dealing with all that, but nobody actually can told me that the dates were moved, which is kind of, it pisses me off a bit, you know? And I, th I think that was what got me on Tuesday. And I, I mean, it wasn't just one day this week. I had a couple of days that were like kind of just fucking, you know. And um, I felt it. And, you know, knowing that for, you know, for definite, although I still don't have the email that says it's gone, right? But, uh, you know, seemingly the promoters are all, all saying, so I might as well say the October, November tour of Europe is gone. It's gone, gone, bang, goodbye. And... All the dates have been replaced and they're all now scheduled for October, November next year. So the entire European tour for that was going to be this year is now moved to October, November and I'll get information out to you next week. So, because I've been dealing with the album and I'm dealing with people saying, can you, I've been, you know, can you play this gig in Bulgaria in September next year? And it's like, I don't fucking know, right? It's like, and it's, it's hard to kind of commit to anything when, you know, we've got no idea what's going on. And and I think that that's what gets me the most. I mean, you know, just to have my little mild rant, you know? Get off my back soon. Right? But yeah, I think what gets to me, it's the same as you all understand as well. It's like, you know, so what the fuck is happening? It's like, you know, theatres and, and concert halls are open, but no live performances, and then there's all this talk, and Kylie Minogue's been interviewed, and Rob um, Sheeran, whatever his name, Ed Sheeran, you know, being asked about their stadium gigs and feeling sorry for the crew. It's like, you know, I think, you know, when I found out October, November had, 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 had gone, it was, um, it's a hit, you know, I'm not going to be on the road for, well, at the moment, more than a year, because... Uh, the other news is that the December UK dates, they're going to get moved as well. If October, November is gone, December is gone, the December UK dates have moved to November next year. So um, the Glasgow shows and things, they've been moved to uh, December, with the European shows now in basically October, November. The February shows in UK, I still don't have any idea about, but I'm anticipating that we will still be in the throes. And it's difficult as well. I mean, I'm in Scotland and, you know, tonight, maybe even after this very programme, you're heading out to a bar to quaff ale, right? And uh, we're not. I'm not disgruntled about it. I'm not upset about it. I'm actually quite happy about it. I think when you see the spikes and, and when you see what's happening in America, especially, and you see what's happened with things opening up too fast and not observing regulations and advice and, big spikes, I don't, you know, want to go back. We're already kind of, you know, in, in Scotland at the moment, our rate is coming down and I'm, I'm really happy with the way the Scottish government's dealt with it. 
it's it's annoying. You know, some people are trying to make political points out of it, and you make try and score political points out of it, which is this isn't the time to be scoring political points. I don't think we are up here. I think the decisions that are getting made, you know, as far as I can see, are the correct ones. But you know, at the same time, I mean, I went I went down to the co-op the other night there, and I was the only guy in about you know six in the queue, and the, the two or three that were inside that, that actually wore a mask. And, it's a, and I wear a mask, I've got no problems with it. I mean, I always wanted to be the Lone Ranger. <clears throat> Maybe Mr. Trump now is turning around and saying he likes wearing a mask. I've always liked wearing a mask. When I was a kid, I used to love wearing those masks, right? So I'm okay with that. But as I said, I mean, to go back to it, I mean, you know, with Scotland at the moment, you know, we're still sitting here. And, um, but, you know, and I accept that. And I think we're making the right moves on this. Um, but like I said, you know, getting told that you, you know it's so long till you, the next time I step on a stage, you know, that's kind of it hits me, and I know it hits all all the other guys as well. I mean, I mean, every musician, if any musicians watching this, any crew that are watching this, you know, it's kind of you just go, oh fuck, you know. But I mean, there's nothing we can do. There's no point in stamping feet and stuff like that. And um, I just get on with it. But I had a couple of bad days where it was just, you know. I had my breakout moments, but I'm all right now. The doctor gave me the injection, and I'm all right now. All the sharpened things have been hidden in the cupboard by my wife. I'm all right now. Alcohol-free beer. Andy McIntosh, um, thank you very much. Tosh, hello, good evening. Um, hello, guys. Ian and... Um, I didn't get the questions from Tosh, but I've got a lot of other ones, right? And there's some interesting ones here. And a couple of really strange ones. Oh, yep. I've got a couple of them now. Say hello. Uh, what's that? Charlie Roy. Hello, Charlie. How you doing, mate? Avro Macintosh. England pubs open tomorrow, not tonight. Oh, they're open tomorrow, right? It's great, isn't it? It's like, you know, you're going to open up and you think... We're going to open up the pubs for the first time in a long time. So let's open up on a Tuesday, right? So when it's nice and quiet and then we'll just gear up for the weekend. No, let's all open them up on a Saturday. Yeah. The sound of gremlins screaming in the darkness. Well, well, well. John Watson, cool man. Avril McIntosh, hello we Avril. We Avril and Andy finished the fire to one mixes. Well, we cats and general twins. So they are. Well. I still got a couple of these things I've got that were sent in. Um, was Mark Wilkinson responsible for the fish logo that has been with you since the start of your solo career? And what was the brief? Yeah, Mark did the, the fish logo. I think, you know, the, you know, Marillion, you know, when I was in it, you know, we had the, the, the kind of really the, the couple of different logos, but they were kind of within the same, the same area, right? And, um, I wanted Mark, I wanted something circular and I just, it just worked. We just wanted little shapes and it, it's, it's worked really well. I mean, one of the things when I left the band was, you know, it was, I couldn't really, I've touched on this before, but I mean, I, I, it was difficult for me to let, you know, go, I'm going to form another band and come up with another band name. It didn't make any sense. And, you know, you can have a band name featuring fish and stuff. So, I mean, 
I just had to go with fish. But as I said, that was before the internet, before you realised that all the .com, fish.com things were all taken up and taken by aquariums in Texas. So, um, so yeah, so fish it was, and Mark had to put together a logo. But I think, you know, that, that, that it, it lent itself towards towards a, a round logo. There's been a couple of nice variations that he's done since, but I mean, yeah, but that is the original one, the, the original round one. Right? Would you consider using part of Fish on Friday to have a video link conversation with Mark? I'm having conversations with Mark every day at this moment in time. And, um, and it's a video link, it's like, Mark's done a great, by the way, David Lamb has, has done, a, was part of the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray's crammed with stuff, right? But um, David Lamb, who directed um, uh, The Garden of Remembrance with Hannah Thompson, not Hannah Wilkinson, it's Hannah Thompson. I knew her as Hannah Wilkinson as Mark's daughter, but of course she got married and Simone and I were at the wedding. But as you know, it's always hard when you've known sort of like friends for years. It's Hannah Thompson. So David Lamb and Hannah Thompson have done a great video for Garden of Remembrance, brilliant video for Garden of Remembrance. They've done a fantastic making off. And they're also doing this clip on Mark, where Mark actually does the, the artwork and stuff. And there's a, there's a big thing about how Mark has done sleeves and stuff over the years as well. So that's an added extra. But, you know, come on. I mean, with tech. I mean, you know, chase through windows, right? Doing this kind of stuff, it's like, you know, without bringing other people on board, you know, at other locations, you know? <laughs> that's a recipe for the fact. What was the reason for not releasing a third single from Suits? You wanted to release No Dummy, as far as I remember. We ran out of money. It was a, uh, you know, it's, it's a, back in the day before, pre-digital, right? I mean, this is, remember, it's pre-digital, right? And, uh, you know, when you're doing all those formats and 12 inches and da-da-da, and then you have to set it up, and then if you're going to do it right, you've really got to take on a plugger, and it was, we just didn't have the money to, to follow up on it. And I, uh, No Dummy was good. It's a great track. I'd love, I'd, that's a track I'd love to see done by somebody else, you know? It's, um, you know, somebody with a bit more street than perhaps I have. And um, yeah, so No Dummy kind of got launched. We, we tried a couple of, there was a couple of dance mixes done and we did have high hopes for it, but it just, I was independent. I mean, when, when Suits came out, it was the Dick Brothers label. It was our first kind of jaunt off, you know? And, you know, it was a big learning curve. It was a massive, massive learning curve where that whole Dick Brothers thing. I mean, you know, I was, I was flying all over Europe doing deals, distribution deals with different companies and things like that. And I kind of, and I, I jumped and ran before I could even toddle, you know. And it, I mean, that whole process during 1993 to 1994 was was just, as I said, a massive learning curve. And um, I think I overextended myself, in all honesty. Um, it'll be in the autobiography. But I mean, um, but no dummy, we just we just didn't have the funds to, to, to go out and, and, and make it happen. And I think a lot of steam had come out of the project as well by that time. So uh, I'd high hopes for Lady Let It Lie. I thought Lady Let It Lie should have been, I mean, I think if we'd had Radio 2 play on, on, on Lady Let It Lie, it might have been different. But, you know, I didn't really have the infrastructure in place. You know, it was kind of, we kind of set it up. But I had, my aspirations at that time, I think for Dick Brothers, etc., was just a bit too big, you know. And, you know, I learned that lesson and 
came out of it and that's why we're with the Trog Record Company Limited, which is a nice small little cottage industry. And as I said, this small cottage is in the kitchen now, so I decided to come through here tonight because um, I thought change of scenery and you'd been asking about Simona uh, cooking, so um, Simona said that she'll cook tonight, so we thought we'd do a kind of husband-wife thing and you know like Fanny Craddock, Jim Fanny Craddock or whatever his name was, do the kitchen so she can take you through things and I can explain some things about this place. And also, there will be a live tatty lifting, live tatty lifting, here on this broadcast. It will occur outside, but it will be live tatty lifting. The first tatty lifting of the season, as in emptying out a bag of early tatties, because that's what we're having tonight for tea, with other things. So, it's a whole new dimension, whole new era. This is like a fresh start in the kitchen. Now... I'll reload this before we go on because I've lost the feed. Here we go. Load you bam. So, the kitchen. It wasn't always a kitchen. Come on, come on. Load. Here we go. Want to get this first? This would be Liam on the PlayStation. I bet you Liam's in the PlayStation. <laughs> right. So this is the kitchen. If you look up the back, that was originally the loading door for the studio. And this was all built <clears throat> in 1991. I moved in, I moved into the studio in 2001 after my first divorce and I was buckled. I was, um, it was a very traumatic time and a really crazy time, really crazy time. So that was the, the loading door. It used to be two wooden doors. Outside that door was a, um, a bit of lawn it sloped down, and that was where all the flight cases came in. And the area at the back where that door is, where the glass door is, from that area from there, from the front door through the glass door up to the fridge, right, was basically where the flight cases went. So when we were, when I wasn't on tour, that's where most of the flight cases came, went in. That was where, it was a big storage thing. There used to be, I had an electric church organ there, uh, that I got from St Nicholas Church in Dalkeith, which used to be the church that the family went to years and years and years ago. And they were getting rid of it and didn't want it. And uh, so we got it delivered here and we never got it fixed. And it was, it was a really beautiful thing. And I actually gave it to a, 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 a friend of mine and, um, and he sorted the whole thing out. But oh, no, 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 they're trying to reconnect bit. And, um, and it, it got lost in a fire. It was probably... Got fixed up, put in a shed, burned down in a fire. I told him not to take the organ. Anyway, the other thing was, we used to, I used to have a really big echo, it was a, an echo spring, a big reverb spring. And I actually bought that from Callum Malcolm when he left the Schoolhouse Studios in Pink Caitland, which is up the road, that Callum used to own. And 
it was a massive reverb spring that we used to have. Um, we used to send signals through from the control room. The control room is, as you can see behind me, right? So that big room back there used to be, that uh, we used to use that as the, the main band room. And then the control room, behind that piece of glass, there's another massive room there that's really my office. And maybe next week I'll take you into my office for the transmission. But um, this one here, this room here that you're in now, uh, this is all the kitchen and it's all built on this narrow, narrow corridor. And that door didn't used to exist. And back in the day, back in the day this was a sound room and it was used as a secondary drum room we used to record drums in here and where the window where the um where the where the door is where the french window is now that was all sealed off and it had a stone wall behind it and we had these big curtains so you had a rough stone wall and then you had these big velvet curtains that stretched all the way around the room so you could actually change how live the room was and you could you'd deaden it right down by shutting all the curtains and things. And it was a great room for doing guitars in. And here by the story. So, there we were, through in the control room, me, James Cassidy, and another assembled bunch of musicians, and through in this particular room was Robin Bolt. And it was during the recording of Suits. And uh, <clears throat> we was... 94 hours up against it, I had no record company, right? So there was no advances. I had to find all the money to support the albums and the recording and the personnel and the session fees, never had to find that. This was um, before you even had the option of crowdfunding, right? And I had to take a completely different route. And back in 93, Sushi was the first live album that I put on the Dick Brothers album, label. There was the Outpatients um, album, which was a mishmash of various musicians, but Sushi was the first fish live album, and then it was then it was Suits. But then we had all the bootlegs, and it was the official bootlegs that, that managed to keep me alive for nearly over over two years and funded the '94 Suits album. So at the time, I'm through in the control room with James Cassidy, Robin Bull's here. We're on an album. We're tight for budget, and. Robin had borrowed a semi-acoustic Gibson SG or whatever it is. I'm not a guitarist, so like, forgive me if I get the serial numbers wrong. Or... So, and he's got this big, full-bodied, semi-acoustic Gibson, and he's sitting on a stool, right? And this is in the first whoa, week and a half of, of recording, right? And um, he's sitting on the stool, we're watching from the window, and he's tuning up his guitar. And he goes, I'm ready for it now, ready for it now. And he, get, he goes to stand up because he wants to stand up to play this take. And he forgets that he didn't have a strap on the Gibson. And the sound of that semi-acoustic body hitting the floor and breaking, the cracking and explosive sound of that just filled the control room from the speakers and everybody just went what the fuck and yeah it was gone it wasn't even cracked it was irreparable and we had no insurance and i ended up paying up about i think it was 800 quid to replace this poor guy's guitarist who we had to phone up and say oh by the way you know that guitar we borrowed off you 
well, we've only had it a day and we just bust it. So that was, um, but so every time I'm in this room, I am very aware that, that, of the Robin Bolt. I can still hear that sound, right? Or that Gibson just exploding. I mean, the body was completely, it was trashed, you know? So, and that is his kitchen. So when I moved in here in 2001, one of the things I wanted to do was just create more light. So I put, there was a, a set of French windows put in there or a door, a door to get out to the garden was put there. And I had originally, like, it was an old aluminium sink and, and stuff. There was nothing here for the first kind of year and a half. There was a fridge, there was, a, there was an aluminium sink, um, there was a cooker, and I got a big American fridge, which was the, the, the most expensive part of the whole kitchen. And I tried, I, we started to, I started to build this thing, so I had to build it in the corridor. And one of the things, is if you'll notice, you'll notice, for tall people, Right, you know, I know you're going to be drooling over this, right? Because when I got it all built, I got it built for a tall person. So you have this. So all the cupboards are really high, and I can reach right up to the top. And on top of that, if you look at the height of the top, right, it's at my waist height. Which means that I don't get a sore back when I'm when I'm chopping or anything, and luckily my wife Simona is also very tall, and we have exactly the same kind of working postures. So it's the whole kitchen is designed for like a tall person, and it's like all the, the all the units were all built. It was all designed so all the units went up and went at the height, and it, it does. It's like and the table, this table here, right. My wife will tell you a bit more about it from the history of it. But that table was in the flat in Dulach. And uh, it was one of the pieces of furniture that we, we brought across from Germany when someone moved across here in 2016. And this is a very old piece of furniture that's been in our family for a long, long time. And it was the kitchen table in Dulach that we sat around, you know, for years when I was going back and forward between 2011 and 2016, you know, Simona's flat in Dulac was, was really small and we always used to congregate around the kitchen table and a lot of you relate to this because I, mean, I was always brought around the kitchen table thing and I've always, it's, I've always found the kitchen table to be one of the most important areas in our house. This is where the best family discussions are happening, this is where all those late night discussions happen, this is where there's tears and arguments and love and declarations, I mean the kitchen tables just have history just ingrained in them, right? And um, and we brought this table all the way across for Germany and it fitted perfectly into this space. So every time I sit at this table, I'm, I'm reminded of Dulac, where I wrote nearly all the Feast of Consequences material. It was like a lot of it was written on this table and on the balcony, which is featured very heavily in the sleeve notes. Uh, uh, I'm just clicking across. So is it? Half past six. Come on, load up. I'm really, I'm, I've got no, I've got no, I'm really impatient with tech. Right. Oh, daffodils here. 
Michael Mosher Sr. Songs from the Suits album was remind me. Oh, dog, 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 dog. Jonathan Wilkes, Exeter. Can't wait for your return to my city. Do you remember playing Ashburton Lanterns on the Sunsets tour? No. I should do, and I can't remember it. I don't know why. Chris Harris? Mm. Oh, yeah, well, I did see six Eve. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take the piss out of the dungarees. Oh, darling! It's the wife of you're in the room. Darling! And a round of canned applause as Simona enters the building. Hello. <laughs> I especially walked that way around. <laughs> Where did you get my dungarees? Asos. 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 What's Asos? You can buy all sorts of... Is it online? An online thing? Yeah. They will know. Asos online. You buy them. Big guy stuff. I did have a pair of Calvin Klein's that I bought. When we actually... There was Avril McIntosh and um, uh, what's his name, Jeremy, who was my office assistant, right? And myself, we went across America to work, uh, to get the, the album mastered um, in Portland, in Portland, Maine. And we spent a couple of days there waiting on the mastering and, and waiting to see the great man, uh, great man, I forgot his name, it's Bob Gold. Avril will tell me, she'll be on slime in a minute, she'll tell me exactly who it was. We went up there and we went up to, there was a free, a free zone for a free, a free port. And I went up there and I went to, was it JJ Blooms or something? And they, they had, I walked into this place and I could never find stuff my size. And uh, I walked into this, this store and they had this entire area all for big fat guys, right? And I bought tons of stuff and I've still got it and my wife still wears like uh, a, a beautiful, big, really long sweatshirt. And I think it was a, a bargeman's shirt or something like that it was called. And it was a wool thing, it's great. And I bought a pair of Calvin Klein dungarees there. And they were like that too short. And I used to insist on wearing them, right? Because they were Calvin Klein's and they were dungarees. And I used to wear them and looked like an idiot. And after about two or three wears, I was told not to wear them outside in public and I could only wear them inside the house. My daughter was aghast when she saw how high the legs were, right? But as it's, that's where the dungarees come from. I really wear them. I used to wear them a lot. When I was a kid, I used to wear them all the time. When I was a wee boy and stuff, it was, it was fantastic. Oh, Phil Collins is back again. Hi, Phil. <laughs> Reed Clark, blueberry juice. Yeah, I do drink blueberry juice. I'm wearing the blueberries have been a bit iffy this year. It's uh, we've had there's a couple of the, the bushes are all right, and I thought I'd, I'd got them pruned up and I got them all set up for this year, but I've screwed up again. Lee Brown, Papa Smurf, yes, on yes, Papa Smurf got the beard, ain't got the hat, got the mask though. Ah, James, hello, Swansea, Rick Gay. Have you seen the review on YouTube of all your solo albums? Nah, I've seen reviews. Zoe Barraclough, I've seen on screen. ASOS. All right. Matthew Bennett, is Simona as tall as me? How are you really tall? Let's see if we can get a height thing going on here. 
pretty good. <laughs> yeah, there's still that much difference. It's a very tall lady. Looks astounding in heels. Steve Jones, are all your buffs green and white? Yes, all the buffs are green and white. I've done black and red before, and I've done blue and white, and I've decided that this season I was going to go green and white. I like them green and white. Mark Charles Stewart, Ludwig, yes, I know, I know, had that one as well. And the Macintosh, Paul and Ray, ASOS, I seen on screen, did it a nice bib and braces, thank you. Bubba Wicker, store called Big and Tall. I used to buy a High and Mighty in, in, in Edinburgh, they opened up a High and Mighty store, but it was so expensive. It was, uh, it was like, well, if you can afford to eat that much and be as fat as that, then you can afford to buy jeans that, that big. You know, it was kind of like that attitude, what it appeared so, allegedly, right? And that's why I love it. When it's not going across the Holland in Germany, just walking in the stores and being able to buy things. I mean, I'm, my inside leg is, what is it, 36, 35, 36. And I'm about a 40 odd waist at the moment. 28. <laughs> it's all padding. I'm wearing a sumo wrestler suit underneath this. Michael Tranner, hello, Chris Hoffman. I remember hearing a bootleg of Kaylee from Milwaukee when you were debuting a few songs from the upcoming album back in then and uh, different lyrics that, oh I've lost you there was different lyrics to the songs yeah when I went out when I was seeing Kaylee at the, the start I was making up it was usually the, I think it was the third verse or something I used to make it up on the, on the stage as I went along and I never wrote it I actually never wrote that lyric until we were, were recording the, the Misplaced Children album in Hans's Studios in Berlin and I had to write the lyrics finish off those lyrics on the night before I actually sung them in the early hours of that morning, so. Tuso yeah. Martini can't wait for the album to be released. Neither can I, believe me, neither can I. And it's, it's sitting on a, it's, it's sitting on a great album. And there's a couple, one or two people have heard it. And the problem is I've got to be so, so careful because it takes, all it takes is one, one person to send it across to some mates that wants to hear it, who passes on to his mate, and then suddenly it's on all the streaming sites. I remember when Feast of Consequences came out, we actually set up um, dummy downloads. It was John Reed, old John if you're watching. And John had set these, these things up, which were basically, um, uh, you got about 30 seconds of music and it looked like a full file. and people would go up and, and try and download it and they'd be spending their time and then they'd play it and there's nothing on it. And it was kind of like a scattergun approach. It was like those kind of, it was like chaff that you fire out of the back of helicopters that avoid rocket propelled grenade attacks. Or, and it was, um, it was, it lasted for about a week and then, we, then it was out. And it was, it was really horrible. It was like you just, you know, you just spent all that time and all that money making an album and then some asshole had decided to put it up on a Russian streaming site. And then it was like thousands and thousands and thousands of albums just going out that, you know, were just going out for free. And I remember it was like when we played Spain, you know, a couple of years back, and it was like on the Feast of Consequences tour and we'd canceled the gigs and we were going to go back. And then we're going like, this is too much. It was too big a journey. We weren't going to make any money going all the way down there. It was another four days. And there was a lot of Spanish fans said, you've got to come down, you've got to come down. And we checked the, the actual, you know, the, the, the purchases from here, right? And from Amazon and, and the downloads at that time. 
And it was negligible. It was like less than, than 50, I think, in the whole of Spain, albums that we sold between the deluxe and the normal CD. And we just said, well, you know, you're asking us to come down all the way to Barcelona and Madrid to play, but there's, there's only been 50 albums sold in that country because we were the only people that sold them, right? And somebody came back and said to us and said, well, nobody buys albums in Spain. It's like, you know, whether this is correct or not, whether it was just his impression, but I mean, it's either I've got no fans or whatever, but he said, in Spain, nobody buys albums. We just we just download, we just pirate them, you know? And uh, and that's kind of, it's at that, at that point in an album or this point in an album when you're aware that, you know, when you, once it goes out, it just flies. And it's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, when vinyl was around and people sold millions and millions and millions of albums and people don't these days because most, there's a lot of people just think it's okay to just rip it and, you know, give it away. But as I said, I mean, this album is probably coming in, I don't even know what the actual cost of everything is at the moment because my entire attitude towards this album was, this is my last one, it's got to sound great and I don't care. And um, so it was kind of, it was just unleashed. It was, the budget was just, there was no budget constraints. And I said, if I had the money to do something, I did it. And uh, But yeah, so I mean, we're probably up to about somewhere in the region, we're over 170 grand easy, you know, but putting everything in, all the bits and pieces right across the board. So like, you know, when you've spent that amount of money making an album and like, and then suddenly you find it going for free on a Russian streaming site or, you know, a torrent site, whatever. Yeah, it's annoying, it is annoying. And, uh, but I mean, it's, it's a fact of life, but I would ask you, right, don't, Put that up and don't throw it up there, right? If I find you, yeah, it's it's part of you know the digital world we live in, and and the, you know the fact that like you know people's attitude to music has changed. You know people are quite you know they feel quite okay at kind of just ripping albums off and you know putting them on their putting them on the MP3 players, but you know we're not living from it. You know it doesn't. You know, all the people that come here, you're paid for doing a job, everybody. And it's, um, people depend on music and to make a living. And like, it's bad enough at the moment when we're sitting here and we can't even go out and play live where most of us make the main crust of what we do, you know, without having albums put up for on torrent sites and just being listened to, you know. It doesn't come out of little unicorn eggs, right? Ted Capada, what formats are you releasing the album? Uh, There's a double CD. As I said, it's a double CD and I think it's a 16 page fold out cardboard um, sleeve. Uh, there's the vinyl, which is a double vinyl because it's perfect for double vinyl. And then there's the deluxe version, which has the album in a big hardback book, with about 99 pages. And uh, that is just a lump of reading, believe me. And, um, and on the Blu-ray, there's um, there's an uncompressed five to one, a normal five to one, uh, Dolby Sound vibe. Then there's an interview with Will Smith. It's about an hour and twenty minutes with myself all about Weltschmerz. There's an interview or a film about um, Mark Wilkinson about the making of the album. There are the four promotional videos for Man with a Stick, uh, Weltschmerz, Steve Barris's Weltschmerz. Uh, David Lamb's Garner Remembrance and Miles Scarron's um, This Party's Over that we've all got making of films. 
and there's uh, what else is up? And there's the four live tracks that Steve Vances has mixed, um, which all come from the Norwich uh, UEA gig on December the fourth, two thousand eighteen. Um, so it's, it's it's quite a substantial lump on the deluxe, but that's it. It's the three different formats, and it'll be available for digital download that you can buy. Uh, so. John Hammer, see you next year in Tilburg 013. Yep. Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, all, all the dates, I'm, I'm disappointed that October, November this year, we will not be on tour. And the dates have all moved. But as I said, there's no point in stamping my feet about it. I've just got to move through it and, and, and do other things. Like I said, I mean, on Wednesday, I think it's Wednesday, but the end of next week, all the parts of the album will be a wave to the manufacturer and you know it's all done and then I've just got to sit so that's going to be a really strange empty feeling you know sit about there you know waiting on it so bung all your old bootlegs up on Bandcamp no outlay pure profit yeah I don't know uh, Edward Martin, what's your favourite Marillion live album compilation? Which one of the compilations? There are about 17 of them. We had four studio albums and 17 best-offs. Um, I, really, I, I really, really liked Real to Real when it came out. I thought Real to Real captured the band. Really captured the band at that time. It was, you know, there was a lot of energy with the version of, the, the version of Forgotten Sons that's on uh, Real to Real was probably one of my favourites, the live ones. Stephen Magpie, I've got a kind of weird relationship with because it was kind of, it was when I left the band, EMI wanted to get money in and it was like, okay, let's cash in and do a live album with Fish in it. Um, they were basically trying to crew coop because at the time when I left the band, you know, we were still owe EMI money. It was, uh, we hadn't paid off the uh, our debt. You know, we'd, um, so, I mean, I, and I don't think I actually, I think I was about a couple of years before I got my first royalty check off of EMI. My, my, yeah, a couple of years. And then it came in because I wasn't on the Marillion contract and, you know, by that time, the elements were flowing into the accounts. But it was, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the royalty rate that we were on with EMI, it was, it was pretty naff. And, you know, when you look at the cost of all the recordings, as I said, I mean, this place here, I mean, if when I was in Marillion, if we'd actually bought our own rehearsal space back then, I mean, I got this this space, the rehearsal space and the, the area for the band. I mean, that's why I got this house here, so that I could when I left Marillion, I could bring my band here, put them up within the kind of space, and we had a rehearsal space where we could write and we could store equipment, we could do whatever we wanted. It was our little enclave and we wouldn't have to pay stupid money to like you know commercial spaces for re rehearsals and um you know i think if if, if marillion had done that way back in about 1984 you know we would have saved hundreds of thousands of pounds you know but the, the problem in that time was you know you know where do we have it the, the many arguments within it which again if you'd had a decent manager and a decent accountant which we also didn't have at the time you know, we could have sorted something out. But I mean, that was one of the decisions I made when I left that band, was to basically make sure that I wasn't going to be spending fortunes on rehearsing and writing. 
and eventually, as I said, you know, this was built in 1991, and um, it was part of the dream was was to, to be as independent as possible. And it was strange because I mean, I was the least likely person to actually own a recording studio. I mean, you you know me in tech, you know, chairs for windows shit, right? I mean, I hate tech, you know, and I ended up getting a studio full of it. And, um, but it was, in the long run, in the absolute wrong, long run, this place has saved my ass. You know, when I built it, I put myself in a hawk. We had to borrow, I had to borrow an awful lot of money, 300 grand to equip the, the, the studio because I was in the middle of all these legal fights with Marillion and the big legal fight with EMI and things. And... And in 1991, you know, the first album that was recorded here was Internal Exile with Chris Kimsey. And um, so this studio was all built, you know, around one building. And the building between here, that space there, that was roughly the same size as the old rehearsal room of which the studio uh, incorporated. There was only one wall that was actually left from the old rehearsal room. But that was where we did um, uh, Vigil and where we did, uh, where we, we wrote Vigil and Eternal. And like I said, even though I'd spent so much money on it in, in 91, when it came to 94 and I started my own independent record company, it was, um, it saved my ass because I wasn't having to find recordings, place recording studios, which I mean, I would never have been able to do on the, on, the amount of albums that we were selling, it would have, it would have been, it would have been painful to take a recording studio costs on the top of all that. So, you know, and and now it's 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 our house. You know, Simone and I, this is our home, and um and it's the best place I've ever lived in. It's um, it looks a lot older than it actually is. As I said, I mean, that room there used to have was had soundproofing on all the walls. And then the roof was a lot lower. It came down to about the top of the control room window. But then about two, three years ago, I decided to open it all up when we were converting it into a house. And, uh, and we left it that, and it's brilliant. And actually, the other night when it was really raining, it's incredible because I think I said before, when I stripped the, the, that ceiling out and, and opened up and put the Velux windows in it, it's like, this is brilliant. Look at the light, we've got fresh air, the Velux, one of the Veluxes open up and let air in and out. And when the breeze comes in from the south, it just blows straight through the Veluxes, right through the house, it's gorgeous. But what I forgot, right? What I completely forgot about was when it rains, it turns into a huge bloody drum. And it was, the noise, it's incredible. It's just an incredible noise when the two roof spaces, the one with the beams on it, which is through where I normally record, and this one, they're just like huge skins. And it's, it's, a, it's a great sound, but I completely forgot. And luckily, during the entire recording of Elchmelts, we didn't have one day that, that was affected by, well, there wasn't any call-offs in the recording space because of rain. Um, we, did, we did have to take down all the chimes, which you've heard many the time, it's like the chimes, yeah. The chimes we have to take down and the phones have got to be taken through the control room and if I'm there, I have to answer them immediately or switch them off completely, which I couldn't do. So, um, but yeah, so that room is, is just great. And every time that rains really, really heavily, it always takes me back to 
caravan parks in Dornoch when I was about eight year old and being in Dornoch, we went up to Dornoch, which is way up the northeast of Scotland, one summer and it was brilliant and everybody was burnt to hell. And, uh, and the next year we went up for two weeks holiday and all I remember about it is playing cards and Lego in a caravan and suffering from shell shock after two weeks of solid Highland rain or an aluminium caravan. You know, it was, but I like it now, I find it very soothing. Uh, and I love it. Thunder and lightning, I love. Uh, rain, often rain. Richard Bainbridge, Magpie's an awesome album. Uh, Andy Lynham, Real Real was my first Berlin album after seeing Berlin for the first time. Still, yeah, it is a go-to. Joe Thompson. Um, Maria Folder, Got Syncopy Real to Real. HMV Southampton, yeah. <laughs> Andy Mantosh, Preserve the Wine. Rico Pina, you said you prefer walking instead of golfing. Where do you like to walk in Scotland? Um, I've not done a lot of walking, uh, mainly because of my knees and my back. Um, my knees are... I've still got... I've got a big operation, well, an op a biggish operation at the end of 2016, and it didn't really solve a lot of my issues. And it's something that's ongoing. It's just something I've got to deal with. I don't take painkillers, you know, uh, avoid them. Um, and with that, it affects my knees and my whole skeletal thing. And it's, I, I see a guy who I really want to see again very soon. And, uh, and when I'm allowed to, he's the first person on my to-visit list because I need to get my spine realigned. He's a great guy. And uh, so my walking kind of flipped out about two years ago just because it became to go and walk with, with my knees. And you've seen me on the tour when, when I've had to have the stool, conscious straws. I'm not debilitated. I'm not in a wheelchair. You know, I'm able to move about. But to go on a major walk is... is, is you know, I could do short walks and things. But the one I loved was when in 2010, I went on the West Highland Way with a bunch of guys and gals. And um, it was brilliant. And we had, it was one of the best, you know, times I had in Scotland. Some great people out there, John Strain, and uh, there was, uh, Rab Purdy was on us, and the second one went out. There was, I met some great guys, Ian Allen. Hello, Ian, Ian. And um, uh, Dirk Schneider, um, names are going like Joe Vincent. Um, there was a lot. We had a great time on on that walk, and uh, and we walked all the way from Glasgow all the way up to Fort William, and we were out for about five six days. It was about hundred miles or something, and we were camped out camped out all the time, and it was fantastic. I did it again, uh, where that, and that was when my knees started to like really pay up, so. But yeah, I mean, and there's loads of great places around here to walk. I mean, up the Pentland Hills, you know, we've got the Lamar Mews behind us, which are, there's some great walking up there. And we've also got the beaches. And I do love going down Yellow Craig's Beach, where Fidra is from uh, Warm Wet Circles. And Gullin Beach is fantastic. There's a couple of other beaches around about that are great to go. If you go down during the, during the week, when, it, when, you know, when it's empty, it's... Good soul stuff, good soul stuff. But I, I do love the hills. Rab Purdy, Rab, my mate who, who works here as well, the opposite here. Um, 
Rab and I went up to Lamayus. Remember, we went up when the volcanoes went off in Iceland, and we were standing standing on on uh, on top of the Lama Law, and it was, it was no planes. There was nothing in the skies, and it was absolutely fantastic. Very much like now, and uh, I don't miss the planes at all. We're not exactly on the main Edinburgh Airport route, but they're regular. The one thing we do have back in the sky, right, and I'll admit this, right, it's between you and me, right? What happened was, right, you ain't seen me, right? <laughs> How do I begin this? Um, what we do have back in the sky is we have pipistrelle bats, and there's a little colony of pipistrelle bats around here. And they're fantastic. I love them. I love bats. And uh, I love it if, if you go walking down the orchard, if you go down to the orchard, there's a big hedge and the bats come down and they, they go down the side of the hedge for the insects. And sometimes on a summer night, on a, on a, on a balmy summer night with insects around, you can go down there and you can feel the bats go by your head and you can, you can hear them, right? You, you can hear them as, as they're, they're zapping around and it's beautiful. But I didn't know there was bats here. In fact, I had no idea there was bats here. And then I noticed them where they came from. And it's from my neighbor's house. We've, they've got what's called the stables, which was another kind of a, 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 a complete, a big renovation or a stable block at the, 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 to the south of me, right? Slightly to the south of me. It's only about 50 meters away. And I noticed that the bats come out the, 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 above the bedroom window, right? And at night, you, you know, you can be sitting at the front and you can actually see a stream of bats. You know, just like the Batman movie where they come out of the cave. And you just see a stream of pipistrelle bats coming out. They're beautiful. And, they're, and then they all go back at night. And I was talking to my neighbours and I said, like, oh, wow, I said, that's great. I said, the pipistrelle bats. I said, I see them coming out of your house. And they're, they're looking at me. And I'm going, I've done something wrong here. Right? And uh, I said, uh, yeah, the bats. He says, well, we'd rather not talk about the bats. And uh, I'm going, wham. Well, he says, well, they were originally your bats, right? And I'm going, I never had any bats in the house. And seemingly what happened was that there used to be two big barns on where my raised beds are now, right? At the, the, the front of the house, right? Where the cabin is and everything, right? And there was two big stone bills there. One of them we used to keep an old massive Ferguson tractor and we used to keep crap in it. The other one was actually watertight and we used to keep equipment in there. And um, when I was selling the house way back, when I, when I lived in the main house and I was selling basically the whole property, we decided that it would be better to knock these barns down. We didn't ask for any permissions or anything. They were falling apart. It was... Um, the, the, I don't even know what the roofing was. I don't even want to think about what the roofing was. But Yatta and I knocked them down, right? Because I figured that nobody would want the house. Well, these old buildings, if we actually created, opened the space out, then people would see it. And I kept a little bit of the stone wall, but all the rest of it, we knocked down. And I went up on the roof and I got my chainsaw. <laughs> I was young, right? And I basically, when we actually stripped up, when Yatta stripped all the covering, all the, the kind of corrugated iron off the roof, right? There was the, the skeleton of all the beams. So I walked up and I walked along the top of the wall and I basically cut all the beams, all the, the tails of the beams. I went up the other side, cut all the tails of the beams and dropped the entire 
roof beam arrangement into the centre, then went into the house and then cut all the roof beams up into bits and we had this massive bonfire. So anyway, knocked these two buildings down. What I didn't know at the time, right? I had no, Your Honour, I had no idea. The colony of bats was in the building. And when we knocked the building down, the colony of bats went next door and they live above, the, they live in the roof space above the bedroom of my neighbour's place. And I always feel really guilty now every time I see the bats coming out the window because as, as the gentleman's wife says to me, he says, when it's mating season, said, it sounds as if there's people up there with Doc Martin boots. He said, it's an absolute orgiastic frenzy above their bedroom. And it's the bats. So that's the story of the pipistrel bats of the studio. Wow. But like I told you, my other neighbour, she put a wildlife cam out, so a badger, a fox, a stoat, a weasel, a bunch of rabbits and things. And um, I've not seen the badger yet, we know where the set is. But I've, still not seen the, I've seen the fox once. And uh, the rabbits, um, they've been moving up here, but I found a completely dead one with no markings on it, no sign of myxomatosis or anything. Found one out in the, at the raised beds. And uh, I've no idea what happened to it, but I don't feel sorry. It's like, I have vegetables to protect. Glenn yeah. Stokes, Big Hedge. Mm -hmm. Simon Reeves, we've got bats in the garden, watch them from the back door. I see bats. I see bats, we get two. They're good though, they're really cool. Oh, one of my cats actually caught one. I don't know how, it was, it was hardly. Way, way back, it, was, it must have been about 2000 and... 2008 or something like that and uh, I went outside and my cat had, had something on the ground and what was it and it caught a bat and I've got no idea but it must have come down the hedgerow looking for insects at the front of the house and the cat must have just got lucky but it was like it was, killed it like oh. our cat used to catch bats in our attic Bob Falk Chris Harris Bruno Cavallari uh, fish sings Kaylee, I take it you're answering the question, who the fuck's that guy? <laughs> it's like, I was talking, when I was, doing the, I was doing an interview the other day with Dave Ling, and I said, it's like, I'm actually, I'm actually going to get put in my will, right? That, you know, it's going to be my will. Do not even think about putting, you know, on my gravestone. It's like, here lies Derek Dick, formerly fish, former, former singer, fish singer of Marillion, right? And then you could probably get a little granite jester's cap perched jauntily on the top of the gravestone with a little um, a place for a little stick on the side, you know, that you put your sound stick in, you pull it out and you get Kaylee playing, you know. Oh. Bats are lovely and protected, Andy McIntosh. I know they're protected, but I didn't know there was a colony of bats. If I'd gone and knocked that building down, I swear, I had no idea there was a, a bunch of bats in there, right? I'd never even seen them before. And uh, as I said, you know, they migrated to my neighbor's house. But, so they are, they've still got a house. You know, they're not homeless, no. But I had no idea. And if, if I had, it would, I would, that building would still be up. Full of bats. Andrew Hancock, sounds like you just admitted to commit an offence. No, I didn't, it was Yatta. <laughs> I didn't know, it's like, you know. David Green, yeah, hello, a lot of Bitman Wall, people with Doc Martin boots, yeah. Andrew Hancock, Paul Hanks, Axel, 
Jonathan Apple, our bats in my old barn here in Countryside, Ohio. I love bats. I wish they'd come back. If they go in the garage, I'd have no problem, but welcome them back. Welcome the bats back. Huh? Hello. When do you need, when do you need me to get tatties and things? Yeah. Dan and Gilder, how's the Skoda driving down? Rubbish. I've still, I mean, as most of you have got cars, I mean, uh, it's, I've still got the same tank. I'm still running with the same tank of, of, of petrol that I, I had from well, the start of lockdown. You know, I filled the tank up and uh, and it's been sitting there. But I mean, it's like, Skoda, so it's supposed, it advertises itself be 44 miles the gallon upwards, right? I've just all I've been doing is go down to town, go to Tesco's, driving at 40 miles an hour, right? And I'm getting 33 miles the gallon. I used to get a better mileage with my old diesel Volvo than I did on this Skoda. And um, too much tech. You know, as I said before, it was like when I got it, when I originally got the car, it was like, you know, you, you had to, I got about a 40 minute kind of lecture on what to do with the car. This does what, press this button, this is eco drive, this is manual drive, this is super sporty drive. This, And it's like, me, tech, right? And then the first time I got it, I, I came out onto the Edinburgh City Bypass in the winter at five o'clock with a brand new car that I didn't really know what the hell I was doing with, right? You know, in rush hour, in the rain, and I was petrified. I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to be one of those idiots who, like, you know, in the papers, but he only had the car for an hour before it was trashed. Right? And I stalled it about three times. And I, I just, I don't know, it's, it's, there's a lot of tech. It's like, why do they put so much tech in cars? I mean, half of the stuff I don't even use, you know? It's like, I don't use kind of, um, what's it called? The... the Oh, the lock drive or whatever, where it's, I'm doing 30, so I'll just put it on 30. I drive a car. I like driving a car, you know? And it's, um, but I mean, this the Skoda, I've just never really settled with it. I mean, like I said, I mean, for all it's been, it was sold to me as, you know, being a 1.5 litre petrol thing and thinking I was going to get really good mileage off it. So it's crap. Well, maybe I've just got a duff car, I don't know. But I've asked them about it and they said, like, you know, this must be the way I drive it. Um... Andy Preston, have you ever met me off many times? Stories for another programme. Uh, Yannick Gares, I've done before. Uh, Andreas Dahl, what about old bats? Are they protected too? Some of them. <laughs> uh, <Gary> Hale, <laughs> Greg Halock, Heart of Lothian played out the headstone, yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard Bainbridge, do a nosy, never. I still don't believe that story. I think that was just a drunken thing and a dead bat. Uh, Mark Boomer, where did he work as an actor? Lots of places. Not enough, wish I'd done a lot more. Um, Andrew Hancock installed a bat tile and bat boxes. I might do, I might try and entice some more. I'll do a wee bit of studying on that. I'd love to get bees as well. We'd love to get bees for the orchard, but it's a lot of work. Um, I did a course. I did about a six week course way back in uh, 2009 on that when I was in between voice operations. And I was all set, all, all set to get a hive and then for various reasons it never happened. One of them being that the money for the hives disappeared somewhere. And, um, but yeah, we've got an orchard, we've got the space. I mean, when I stopped touring, 
hives. I'd love to get chickens. You know, as I said before, I need to find out an awful lot more about uh, um, solar heating. Um, and I definitely want to get solar panels put on the roof. But I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's a big book of tech. It's a lot of manuals. It disturbs me and it makes me scared. Cruise control, that's what it's called in the Scotland Skoda. Cruise control, useless. It's like, I mean, well, I see useless. The only time I've ever used cruise control was when you get in those fucking awful average speed zones. What horrible bastard came up with average speed zones? It's like, you know, sitting there and, and going down the A1, 50 mile, and, you know, and, and then you've got the cameras up, you never know which ones are right. And it's, uh, so, I mean, yes, cruise control helps then. Okay, I admit, hand in the head, hand in the heart. It's like, you know, yeah, cruise control, sort of 50, go to sleep. <laughs> drive the car, drive the car. But yeah, I used to really like driving. I mean, back in the days when I used to drive from Spearmouth Forest the way up the north and drive down to Gala Shields and go driving to Penrith. And, and even now, I mean, you know, I like driving. I'll, I'll, driving after gigs, I mean, you know, the gig of 2020, Aberdeen. I mean, uh, I drove back after it and that was four hours plus. And I like it. I, I, find, it, I find driving relaxing. And uh, I think it's just because I was brought up around cars all my life. I mean, uh, like I said, my dad had a garage and I was driving when I was 10 year old. So, uh... Justin Ross, you need a 56 plate Peugeot 107. Yes. Yeah, maybe. The second car, I'd, I'd love to get one of them really old Jags. John Mitchell's got some great cars. I've not seen them, but I've seen photographs of them. He's got some nice cars. But I've never been a car guy. I've never been really into it. The first time I got into. Uh, a Ferrari belonged to Chris Kimsey and I hated it. It was like, it, it was like, ugh, totally cramped. And I've, I've never liked them. I've never really liked sports cars because I, I don't look cool in them. I'm too big, you know? Um, I like old, old Jaggers. He mostly used to have some, some great Jags and things. Um, I love Land Rovers. Volvo, the, the Volvo that I had, the, 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 the X70, the cross country, XC70 or whatever it was, that was the best car that I think I've had. You know, it's the one that I've enjoyed most driving. It was Simona's favourite car. And I think I've made a mistake with the Skoda. But I mean, it's weird because, you know, you're supposed to keep it under so many miles and things. And it's like, so by the time I get to the end of four years, because, you know, if I'm on a tour, I don't even drive a car for like, you know, I don't obviously take my car out on the road, especially when I'm in, the, in Europe. But, um, you know, my car will not get used for like three months, maybe four months a year, you know, in a, in a touring year. So, uh, it's, um, Simona doesn't like driving my car. It's too big. She's got her own little car. It's a little Corsa, but she loves it. No, I don't <laughs> You want it? What kind of car do you want? I don't know. You want, I thought you wanted a Volkswagen Beetle. And an old, old one. She wants an old Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. Uh, she went to Mexico City. When, the first time I went to Mexico City, blew me away. I'd never seen so many Volkswagen Beetles in my life as in Mexico City. And I thought it was, it was, it was just bizarre. Is that everybody had Beatles. And it's, I think it was one of the biggest, uh, the, the biggest used car dealerships of Volkswagen Beatles in the world was in, in Mexico City and had all the spare parts. And it was just thousands of them were going about. It was fantastic. Uh, uh, I have Smart Cruise Control, Deb Walter. Smart Cruise Control, my Subaru. 
adjust for the slow drives in front of me. Yeah, I've got one of the things. It's a beeping thing that keeps us saying, you're too close, you're too close. Huh. Graham Smith, solar panels aren't worth it. <laughs> I need to do more research before I'd say they're unworth it. There's a lot of people got them which suggests that some of them do work. I think there's a lot of NAF stuff out there. And somebody told me a couple of years ago that the, the new units that were coming up uh, round about now, well, seemingly the, the pickup is great. And um, the voltaic sensitivity or whatever it is, is really good. But um, again, it's, I've had a daunting experience coming at me. Tanya Wyman, Love Jags. Jokloongrun, welcome to Sweden, the best festival, Sweden Rock Festival. Yes! First place we played, played the Misplaced Childhood on the, um, on the Fairway of Childhood Tour. Great gig, I love that festival, and that is one festival that I definitely want to play before I retire. Robert Marotta, Lost the Feedfish. Ah. Andres Dahl, you've asked the question which is stupid and it is troll-like and it's what I expect from you. Please ask that one again and go away back to your little bunk and sleep. Put the red wine away. Little goblin. Uh, oh yeah, that was it. Last week, right, at the end of the programme last week, I had a guy, Kenny Greenan, some mate of mine for Harrington, right, he comes on, on the, the feed right, and then sends me a message that comes up and then phones me up during the live feed, that he knows his live feed, to ask how he can get a, uh, one, of the, one of these buffs, right? Get a life, Kenny. Uh, they no longer manufacture them in Mexico. That was Deb, Deb Walt, Walt, Waltier. Chris Harris, first car you had. Beal, yep. Oh, uh, I can ask. I like Volkswagen Beetles. My, my uncle, uh, he had a Volkswagen Beetle. I really liked him. I always, you know, I always found it really weird because it was like the engine was in the in the back. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to go, the engine's in the back. Oh. They made the old Beetles still in Mexico. That's why Jason Kenny. See, the, Jason Kenny says they make the Beetles in Mexico still. Sorry, there was a weird couple of weird questions came up there. So, will I go out and get the ties? You need the ties, it's quite fast. Right. What I'm going to do is... This is the garden. Now, I've got to watch in case the feed goes off here because it's really temperamental. That's our greenhouse. And you can see the cucumbers growing at the front and all the tomatoes and chilies in the back. That's a salad. And that massive greenery over there is tatties in front of the roses. And I'm going to get the first tatties out. So, do you want to hold this? These are Aaron Pilots. This is live and air. Live and air, tatty hawking. Tatty hawking from East Lothian.
and this is a bag of ties. And if you've watched the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden, you would know that I put these ties in bags about uh, six weeks ago, and they should be ready. This is one bag. I think they're ready. They should be ready. And it's really easy. Oops. Because when you grow them in these... Can I leave it like this, babe? Oh. Ah. Take the stocks out. Get that. Now let's see what's in here. Look at that. Oh. This big one. The what? Here you go. Iron pilots. Look at this. There's your scabby one. Not bad. Scare me up. Not bad. It's pretty good. Hmm. There we are. You have to wash your hands. Tonight's ties. Not bad. Great. You turn that around. There you go. First of the ties. Great. So we're having brand new ties tonight. And we're having salmon. salmon. You gotta do it. You're the one to do that. We're gonna have new tatties. Salmon, um, and Liam's gonna have grilled feta, and we have fried new um, carrots. carrots. Yeah. And a salad. Carrots will be grown outside, tatties are grown. And the salmon was delivered by the fish van. It comes every Wednesday at nine o'clock. So, it's 20 past. So, do you want to explain what, what you would have a wee talk with them while I go and set the CD up? About? You tell what you're going to cook. Oh, tell you what, baguettes. My wife is incredibly clever.
the feed keeps on going off. Where is it? Carrots ready for frying. This is where Mrs. does all her baguette making and makes her own bread and all the rest of it. So she makes her own baguette. Go on. Do we explain to him? Someone will tell you all about baguettes while I set up a track. <coughs> tell, oh, me tell them about Bilbo. Oh no. So, I don't know what to say when I'm not asked anything. I started making bread around 20 years ago and the reason was my uh, children. I wanted to do the best I could, obviously, like every, every mother wants. And I started baking bread and I heard that some, uh, a doctor had said at the time that you can, forgiven many, can be forgiven many food mistakes, but as long as you have your own bread, your organic um, carrots and organic potatoes, then it's all forgotten. So if you do these things right, you can, uh, can make a lot of other mistakes. So that's what I did. I still love baking. Baguette, all sorts of breads. Um, Brilliant breads, by the way. We made our own sourdough, which I managed to let, let starve. <laughs> it died. <laughs> Somebody said sourdough can never die, but it did. So it was, it was very warm outside and I didn't feed it for about three days. So it got really, really black. I've never seen this before. And yeah, we... we Bilbo, we called it, the first one was called Bilbo, it died. The second one was called Frodo, it died. And at the moment I'm only making baguettes. <laughs> the baguettes are absolutely excellent. Like oh, It's good. It's great. Right. I said, I thought tonight, because it's like, you know, you get these kind of, you get these programs where you've got, um, you look at a goldfish bowl or whatever, but you also get the fires. So I thought what I'd do is I'd put this on. So. So that you can look at the fire. So there's the speakers. That's the big kefs. The amp, by the way, is, is a Parasound Halo amp. I'm using a Heed uh, CD player, and these are my wonderful Kef, so Kef 11s, big, big beauties. Here is the remote, and this is Callum's uh, 220 remix of, um, <coughs> this is the remix of Little Man What Now. <coughs> it's recorded back in, um, back in 18 in the first sessions. Somebody was asking, has it been re-recorded? No, Dave Stewart's on drums in this and uh, all the original players are the same, but the remix is spectacular. And as always, it's got uh, the incomparable Mr. David Jackson on saxophone, who it was a great, great honor to have him play. And what Callum did with this mix is just extraordinary. And you'll hear yourself, um, you hear yourself, that, you know, he has really jumped up. And that's why we remixed, because we recorded in 18, 
there was an approach in 2018 which fitted kind of where it was then. But in 2020, when we started recording all the rest of the stuff and started mixing it, it all kind of it changed. And, you know, I think the attitude changed towards the recording as well. Not in, uh, in any other way, but in towards the sound and what, what Callum wanted to bring out of it. So that what he did was he boosted all the, the, the all three tracks that were on Parley have been completely remixed for this. And this, um, this is Little Man What Now. Enjoy. Yeah. 
2020 remix of Little Man What Love. Very different. That's um, actually, um, that's I think it's your favorite track, isn't it? Next to Garden Remembrance, isn't it? Yeah, I love the sax in it. Um, gotta adjust all this again. Adjust camera, put some back up in the thing. How you getting on with the food, love? Back in the kitchen again. Um, every now and again you get this kind of, you get a kind of little innocuous question. Um, uh, yeah, it was Nico Slobber. Hi, Nico. Um, he was asking about uh, the re-recording and remixing the songs. So yeah, you can hear. Some people have said, why are you playing so much of the new album ahead of the game, right? And it was a decision that I had to make. Um, I could either do nothing, uh, play bits, 30 second clips. And I thought, well, what's the point? You know, what you're hearing on here, right? It's nothing, I kid you not, it's nothing like how it sounds. When you play this in your hi-fi at home, it's like you're gonna be blown away. It's, um, it's, Callum's mixes are just extraordinary. They're just fantastic. And, uh, and I, I just want you to hear what we're doing. It, it's, it's crazy, I mean, you know, as a musician, you know, we've spent so long writing this and then sitting, waiting on it now until September the 25th, because the release date is September the 25th of July for all formats. They will only be available from here. And just so you get it, um, a lot of people have been asking, even though I mentioned it last week, and even though I put it up on the Facebook page, the pre-order date is the same day as the, the release of the Garden of Remembrance single. So the pre-order date is the 24th of July. Um, I would, wouldn't worry, we've got, there's enough time to get pre-orders in. Uh, 15,000 deluxes that, that are coming in and that's um, it's a big order. Um, there's about 7,000 double CDs and there's about 3,000 vinyls coming at us that we're all going to have to put up here. So if we're still doing Fish and Friday, which I think we will be doing then, uh, is you'll probably be seeing me through, seeing myself and Simona through mountains of cardboard boxes as we try to, because we are, we, we just distribute ourselves. You know, this is the way we do things. We can handle it. Um, the new mail order system that's been, uh, driving someone mad is little by little, bit by bit, falling in, into place, crunching stupid things out that are all caused by tech, right? So, uh, but it's, it's getting there, so we'll have it all sorted out. But I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm quite okay playing this stuff. Don't, 
you know, as I said, these versions and what you're hearing, then these little speakers and things, you know, they're coming out the kefs, which sound brilliant here. But what you hear coming out the kefs going down into your speakers is not what the album is. And, um, and Callum's done an incredible job mixing this, so it's um, very happy. James Fraser, glad you like it. Sean Michelle. It's, it's, yeah, it's a classic. It's got, a, it's got such a vibe to it, and it just, it fits now. I mean, it was inspired by the Hans Falada book with the same name, Little Man What Now, and it has got that. That's why I wanted to bring Dave, Dave uh, Jackson in on, uh, on saxophone, because it just gives that Berlin smoky kind of vibe to it and everything, you know? It's, uh, it's really cool, really happening. Adrian Mason, yeah, it's got a bit of a Floyd vibe. I think because of the sax, because of that bluesy sax. I, mean, I think people, you know, when you go Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd are a blues band. You know, they're, they're, a, they're all the stuff's all based on blues, you know? And uh, so it's so surprising that you can see similarities between it. But it's, uh, it's just that it fed. I just wanted 1930s Berlin and I wanted a guy in a tenement and smoky tenement room and stuff. And yes, the fire is on because it is cold here. It's actually in Scottish parlance, we say drich. Drich means it's wet and cold and damp and shite, right? And the weather forecast for the next few days is shite, right? Um, it's going to be, it was raining so much last week. It was coming down off the roof, into the gutters, and was at the, the flat roof where our bedroom and Liam's bedroom is and stuff. The water wasn't getting off the roof fast enough and it fed back into Liam's room it was coming through the light fittings. <coughs> and, uh, but there was so much water fell that the area at the back of the house, there's a gravel area that's uh, it's just, we, we've got um, containers there with um, lots of Simona's herbs in it. And it was actually flooded. It was, uh, the water was about maybe quarter inch, half an inch over the top of all the gravel at the back of the house. I'd never seen that. So much water. And, you know, it's uh, it's great. The garden loves the water, but the garden also could do with some sun. And there are rumours, vicious rumours, of a heat wave coming at us. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that does happen, but we need it. I need some sun. Because I think, you know, same as everybody, you know, when you're in lockdown and, you know, it's crappy weather, you know, it's uh, it doesn't help. But we're, we're watching The Wire tonight. After, we, after this broadcast, it's like we have food. And then <clears throat> I have a night off. I don't go on the computer. I don't answer the phones. And we just have Friday night. It's just our night. And we have a relatively long live. But my mum's got to get breakfast about 9.30 in the morning. She, as she gets every morning in her bed. Well, not in her bed. She's always up. She gets up at 6 or something. Uh, but the weekend is weekend in preparation for the next first Friday. And it's number 15 today. Wow. Uh, Mandy Brain, yes, you'll be blown away. Um, July the 24th is the pre-order, yes, that is correct, Laura Bittman Ward, right? And the definite release of the album is September the 25th. Like I said, as of next week, it's in the plants. It's uh, the next time I will see it will be in, I'm so looking forward to seeing this, the, the deluxe edition. It's, uh, it's gonna be, it's, just, it's very, very special, what I've seen so far. Well, Jorge, who is a low fish return to Chile? 
I'd love to return anywhere. I'd love to return to the Aberdeen lemon tree at this moment in time. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and the fishing Friday, I'll just keep it going. As long as we're in lockdown, this will happen every Friday. You know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, and as I said, I mean, Scotland's three weeks behind um, the regulations down there, so, uh, which I'm more than happy about because I'd rather be settled and get this local contact tracing thing all sorted out so that, you know, you do feel a bit more confident walking about. But I will say, right, I wear a mask. I wear this every time I go out. Sometimes I'll put a bit uh, kitchen towel in. This is on me every... I go out of this house, I go to the co-op or I go to Tesco's or I go anywhere. I wear a mask. I don't know. I could catch it from somewhere. God forbid. And, um, you know, to be thinking you're passing on with somebody. And as I said, I've got an 87-year-old mother through there. And, you know, we're always on, on high alert and we keep a social distancing. But, I mean, this is the only way you're going to get through it. It's like, you know, by wearing a mask. I mean, I've got no hassle with it. I don't know why people get so uptight about wearing masks, you know, because they're getting told to. It's like, you know... <sighs> you know, just wear it and pretend you're a Lone Ranger, right? But I mean, um, as I said, I mean, if you you caught it and you were to pass it on to somebody else and all the rest of it, then that would be scary. But it's interesting seeing that singers are really bad at passing it on. So the, there's been real the, the sad news about that there was a choir in New York, I think, and I think there was two or three of them died and there was about nine or 11 of them were infected and all to do with singing. And because everybody was singing in the same space and, you know, mucus and da 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 all the stuff if you've ever been a fish gig and you've got too close you know exactly what happens <laughs> we can't help but gob uh, right it's quarter hour on my neck oh bollocks i did not tell you i sneezed and coughed at the same time and i jarred my neck and that was another reason why i got a real downer on uh well, i got a downer on kind of run about tuesday wednesday it was like I've torn a tendon in, in my shoulder. I tore, I tore it months and months and months ago and it's been kind of getting better and every now and again I'll do something and just rip it again. And I did that on Tuesday and, you know, and it was, it is painful. And as I've said before, I sleep like a live prawn on a Japanese hot grill, you know, I'm like that the whole night, dip, 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 dip. And I never really get, kind of a really deep sleep and I ripped it on Tuesday and it was like, oh, bastard, it was so... So I'm still waiting if I get a scan on this and find out what the hell's going on, but I've, again, no point in stamping your feet, just got to be patient, bear up with it. <coughs> um, Steve Jordan, what about an electric car? Mine did 141 miles, it cost me £4. I love an electric car. It's the cost of them, they're so bloody expensive. And it's, um, you know, for what we have about here, I mean, you know, when someone has got an old Corsa, and we're, we're, I just have to get that MOT'd. I find it weird that having to get an MOT and, and pay my road tax at the moment. It's uh, on the old Corsa, but I mean, uh, the, it, was, it used to belong to my dad and it's been going for a very long time. And it does it, you know, we go back and forth to Highington and go to the stores or whatever. And you know, we, we don't really do that much travel, I mean, especially at the moment, but I mean, you know, we don't, even then, we don't really do that much kind of traveling around. So I'd love to get an electric car or whatever, I was doing, down at the co-op the other night, there was one, and it was like, freaked me out. It was like, silent. It's like, when they just take off, oh, oh, no. Steve Allen, 95 and sunny here in Annapolis. Have a very good Independence Day and take care. And 
wear a mask. You don't look stupid. You know, it's actually, there's a reason why you wear it. It's not like you're getting asked to wear a Roddy McDonald outfit or anything like that. It's a mask. It stops you, you know, infecting other people if you are infected and you might not even know if you're infected. And as I said, I mean, I'd rather be in a situation like we are in Scotland where that R rate is coming down and where, you know, the, the more that R rate comes down, the more we keep it down, then, you know, we can open up and feel just a little bit more confident when we open up. I mean, it was interesting to see the facts, the numbers today on a Gov UK thing, and they were saying that 71% of the people out there, you know, would not go to cinemas, you know, and there's a lot of people who wouldn't go to bars, you know, when they open up tomorrow night, you know, in England, you know? But, you know, when, when we get, even if we get unlocked up here, I mean, the last thing I'm going to be doing is running out to a restaurant or heading into a pub. But it's, uh, you know, but so be it. But, I mean, you know, wear a mask, just think other people, you know, and, you know, the more we get the rate down, then the freer we get, you know. Um, Clyde Brenner, thank you, yes. Bob Jester, when will your podcast catch up with Fish and Friday? Yeah, the podcast. The reason that Rob Scarron, hello Rob, the reason that Rob Scarron's uh, behind, it's not his fault. Basically, so many people are doing podcasts just now that there is a queue to get them up onto Apple and that is where the podcasts are. <coughs> Excuse me, we've got three podcasts that are waiting in the queue to go up. So they are definitely going to go up and these transmissions are, are already kept on the, the, the Facebook site so that you can go back and look at them, you know, they're in the videos and stuff. So it's going to be interesting in years to come, you know, this entire cache of kind of fish interviews, fish gabbing, you know. Ellie Bithri, can we have one a month, please? I, I'm, I'm enjoying doing it. I mean, I think, you know, when we're on the road, we'll probably find the space eventually to, to do this, you know. I think it's become kind of, I mean, I, I love doing them. I enjoy it. I like the break. I like preparing for them. Mentally, it keeps me adjusted. And I think as well, as I said last week, when we were talking about dementia and everything and about, you know, just, you know, a bit of mental exercise. I mean, going back and having to remember bits and pieces, right? But I'm going to leave you with this, right? It's 10 to. It's a wee innocuous question. This is educational, right? Uh, um. Right, let me find the first page. Where is it? What have I done with it? It's in it is. Grierson. Uh, right. Martin Grierson. Right. And he said... Any significance, this Martin Grierson, he said, any significance to the Grierson spirit line from Internal Exile. And the line in Internal Exile, as you probably know, is uh, Grierson spirit haunts the dockyards, right? And at the time when I put that together, I was actually the, the original <coughs> lyric. Oh, where did this fool one come from? <laughs> the original lyric was actually put together. Uh, around about uh, 1988, 88, 89 was when Internal XL came together and it was a lyric that was intended for the Marillion album and that was never going to happen. <laughs> nah. Marillion weren't very keen on um, where my, uh, my Scottish politics lay. 
and uh, and I understand that and I respect that. And it was actually we we did actually record it for the visual album, but it was never used. And <coughs> excuse me, and I I kept the song for Eternal Excel album of the same name, the first album recorded here in the studio. Do you like all the little circles that come into play? Anyway, Grace and Spirit haunts the dockyards. And I remember when I wrote it, I did some research, because um, Grierson, John Grierson, was a film and documentary maker. He was very famous. And um, what I remember when I was a kid was I remember watching these documentaries on TV, black and white documentaries. And he, he did a lot of films about fishermen, about farmers, about steel workers and things. They were all about real people, right? And basically, John Grierson, Right, who was born in 1898 in Stirling in Scotland, right? he was the first ever person to actually use the term documentary. And he used it when he was a review of Robert Flaherty's film uh, Moana, 1926. Right? And he did a review in the New York Sun in 1926 on this. And uh, he referred to the documentary that wasn't a, a movie because it was a film about, I think it was a Polynesian girl or something that it was a documentary and he was the one that first termed documentary and um I, 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 this when i first when i wrote the song this was before the internet and stuff but i knew about grierson and i knew about grierson because when i was a kid i can remember on the tv right these programs and through the glory of wikipedia right it was called the wonderful world of john grierson and i used to remember being absolutely amazed when i was a, a little boy watching all these incredible documentaries that, that Grierson did all about the Scottish, you know, agricultural, urban landscape and, and elsewhere. He was a big guy with a, um, and he was one of the kind of um, main guys in the National Film Board of Canada. And he helped turn the National Film Board of Canada into a, a, an amazing institution. And they've been behind so many brilliant films and documentaries over the years. And um. But a couple of things. <clears throat> um, he said, this is a quote I said. In an age when the faiths, the loyalties and the purposes have been more than usually undermined, mental fatigue, or is it spiritual fatigue, represents a large factor in everyday experience. Our cinema magnate does no more than exploit the occasion. He also more or less, frankly, is a dope peddler. Uh, that was an interesting, and that that came from way back. That was a quote from way back in the nineteen twenties, thirties. He was a real. He's very left wing, very socialist uh, documentary maker, and <clears throat> he always wanted to use real people. And he always said that there was there was always a problem. What was it? It was um, philosophical questions about documentaries containing stagings and reenactments. He was a real pure guy and did some amazing movies. And um, but there was one really interesting one that I came across, right? And when he was working with the Canadians, right, he said, on the 26th of February, 1942, Grierson attended the Academy Awards and received the award on behalf of the National Film Board for Churchill's Island. Grierson also presented the award for the best documentary, the first time that this award was given by the Academy. Right, this is it. After the Dieppe raid, there were reports that Canadians that had been taken as prisoners of war had been manacled under Hitler's orders. Grierson proposed that the Film Board show how the German prisoners of war were being treated in Canada through a film. 
Ham Wright directed the film showing the German sailors that had been captured playing football, enjoying meals and looking healthy. Only one copy of the film was made. It was sent to the Swiss Red Cross who deliberately let it fall into German hands. Grierson was to learn at a later date that Hitler had indeed watched the film and ordered that the Canadian prisoners of war released from their manacles. Right? And I thought that was a lovely wee story, but if you, you, you look it up, John Grierson on Wikipedia is absolutely fascinating. And that was why I used, that was the, the term when I used Grierson's um, Haunts the Dockyards, right? And uh, as I said, I've, I've, I remember watching those those documentaries and loving them, and I've always had a great love of documentaries. And I think it must have come from kind of my exposure when I was a kid. And um, it's, yeah, fascinating. And so, it's five to eight, a little bit longer than normal, but we're in the kitchen. Um, my mum's about to be fed. Uh, we're all gonna be fed. So it's the end of Fishing Friday, number 15. Tomorrow, down in England, the pubs will be free. All I'm asking is just be careful, mind the social space, and it's gonna be horrendous being in a pub. And after you've had three or four pints, and just forgetting where you are and what's happening around you, we can't forget. It's, uh, it's so easy to become lackadaisical and forgetful, and um, we just have to concentrate. And as I said, you know, mask up, right? You can take it off for drinking, but mask up when you're going about. Just think of other people, you know? And follow the guidelines. I mean, we have to keep at this. You know, it ain't going away. It's not gone away. You know, people are talking second waves. We're not even out of one yet. We're not even out of phase one yet, really. Wave one, right? <clears throat> the European dates have gone. The UK dates have gone in December. Uh, this year is gig-wise. This is it, Fishing Friday. So it's like, this is my performance. And these are my stage clothes. I've actually realized, I said to someone today, I've got my stage clothes on for Fishing Friday. So, take care, stay alive, look after each other, um, just watch what you're doing, and, uh, and I'll see you all next week, okay? Well, bye-bye.